No matter how you've come here today, no matter how much you've been hurt by the past or how great your present sin may be, God is ready to receive you just as you are. Amen? He's ready to, for you to come, him, uh, to come to him no matter how you are. While your sin is great, God's grace is greater. Uh, Satan will often lie to us and get us to believe that the sin chains us to our past so much that there is no present or hope of the future. And that is a lie. It's just not true. And here's the first thing you want you to put in your heart today as we move on to God's word. The hope of Christ is for everyone, and that hope changes everything. So no matter how you come here today, the, uh, the hope of Christ is for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this moment that we've had to realize we can come to you just as we are. With our burdens, with our mistakes, with our wounds, with our current failures and sin, and you accept us. And you, you desire to change us. Lord, let us be changed today. We thank you that you are perfect and powerful and, and able to meet all of our needs. There's no burden of this world in our lives that you cannot handle. And we, we pursue you because of that. We cry out to you. Father, we cry out to you as a nation that's divided right now by a lot of different details and different stress, different opinions. Lord, bind us together under your love, under the truth of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that are hurting. I pray for those that are confused. Lord, be with those that uh, are overcome by uh, the world in, in some way. Maybe it's a physical thing, a fire or a storm or flooding. Be with them. Give them peace. Lord, I thank you for the pursuit to protect life. And while we'll never handle it perfectly because we're messed up as humans, let us treasure life to the extent that we would sacrifice anything to protect the living and those that have been given life by you. Father, I, I pray for those that um, are confused. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for the blessings of, of this season and, and the growing of the crops. Lord, today as we dive into this uh, uh, message and the, your word, I pray that we would understand there are physical weeds and there are spiritual weeds, and let us, let us pull out both of them so we can thrive for you. In Jesus' name, amen. This month we have been pulling weeds, not just dandelions, but pretty aggressive weeds. Uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about pulling the weed of gossip, and boy, that can flare up in a moment. We talked about pulling the weed of racism, and I want you to hear this again. Racism, anytime we judge someone because they're different, it is sinful because we're all creating God's image. Last week, Dee did a great job in just guiding us on how to be better fathers and families and brothers and sisters in Christ. And today we're going to pull another weed. It's, it's what I would call a super weed. I don't know if anybody ever heard that term before. There are physical super weeds that are developing within our nation, within the world. And what a superweed is, I think we can compare it to some spiritual things today, but a superweed is a weed uh, that has become resistant to herbicides. It, it, over time, as it reproduces, it develops, it grows a resistance or a tolerance or even immune factor to any type of herbicide, especially the ones we like to use. It is estimated that over 60 million acres, 60 million acres, have some form of superweed on them right now. It may sound some like super fiction, but it's, it, uh, it's, it's real. It's not just a fiction, it, but it's all uh, too real because it's affecting American farms. It's creating havoc. It's costing money, but it's holding back production. So how does it happen? 
Herbicides have been used for years to keep weeds in check. And, and what happens is, instead of actually killing a weed, we, when, we, when we don't really attack it to die, it, it grows and then it reproduces and, and it begins to be uh, tolerant of that. And the cycle grows and it gets worse. One of the super weeds in our region, some of you may not care at all about, but is mare's tail. Any farmers know what mare's tail is? Uh, no one in the room, okay? <laughs> but mare's tail is a weed that has developed a um, an ability to fight back against regular herbicides, so it grows. And here's the difficulty. If it's not killed right from the beginning, you see in this field, it grows to five or six feet tall and produces 250,000 seeds to reproduce. And those seeds then are more to uh, tolerant or immune to the herbicides as well. And it's a very a bad cycle. Years ago, or the early settlers coming into the United States or our nation at the time, this, this land that was untouched, found this weed, and it really wasn't that disruptive. In fact, they used it to treat diarrhea. They used it to uh, help them with different ailments. But over time, it has become a problem. As little back as the year 2000, there were no states reporting that mare's tail was resistant to herbicides. But then because it was left unchecked, by 2008, 13 states were reporting that it was a superweed. And now in the United States of America... Half of our states are reporting this weed is intolerant or has become tolerant to, to herbicides. And the ag industry is spending billions of dollars trying to fix the problem and problems like it. But here's the reality, and I don't want you to get too nervous about this. This is the boring part of the sermon. The reality is until Jesus comes back again and makes everything new, we are going to have weeds. It's just the way it is. Uh, because they continue to adapt, they continue uh, to cause problems. So what, what does it mean? Do we just let them be? No, we fight back. Absolutely, we fight back. Adam was called in the book of Genesis to toil and to labor to produce a crop in the midst of weeds, in the midst of thorns. Because sin has entered the world, uh, Satan is trying to uh, snuff out all that is good. But God says, no, you, you need to labor. You need to do your very best to fight back. And I believe today we are going to take a big step to fight back against the super weed of our spiritual lives. That very much like mare's tail ha has been able to grow among us, to reproduce, to multiply. And we've never in your life, whatever your uh, superweed is, you've never said, this is stopping today. I'm going to put an end uh, to this sin problem that's growing and growing. Because the more it grows, the less effective we are at resisting it. And our own human efforts will become useless against the spiritual weeds that we let grow. Uh, this spiritual weed I've chosen to just call simply addiction. You're like, well, I'm not addicted to anything. Well, most of us are. We have let something like mare's tail kind of fester in our life, and we chose to let it hang around. It reproduces. We do it more and more. We want it more and more. And before long, we have no ability to control it. So here's what a, an addiction is. An addiction is really developed and often is an uncontrollable dependence on anything. You're like, well, I'm not addicted to any drugs. No, but maybe it's fried chicken for you, to be honest, okay? Maybe it's Diet Coke. Can I get an amen for Diet Cokes? I don't, for whatever reason, I don't know what they put in that stuff, but a lot of people are addicted to that. They're like, i, I, I got to have it. I feel like I need it. Uh, while, while fried chicken, can we get an amen? Fried chicken is good. Amen. If, you are, if you're like, I've got to have it, I, I can't get out of my mind, it can become addiction that, that is inappropriate. It can't be controlled. And when something controls our life, it is really spiritual bondage that should not be accepted. When we allow something to take root and develop in our lives where we can't control it, it becomes a super spiritual weed that we've got to deal with. The problem usually starts by lying to ourselves, though. 
We say things like this, well, it won't be a problem if I try it just once. And a lot of things aren't a problem if we try it just once. Or we say it's not really that bad or I can stop whenever I want. It's not hurting anyone else. It's okay. Or how about this one? God really wants me to be happy. Is that what God said in his word, that he, his desire is for you to be happy? No, he desires us to be holy, to honor him with all that we are. And when these spiritual weeds grow and we become addicted and lose control, Satan loves it because we are servants to something other than the Father in heaven. The Bible speaks about it. Listen to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 2. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. That's addiction, spiritually. When you honor something and controlled by something, you're not, just you, you're not just using it to be happy. The Bible says you become a slave to that thing. And guys, I care for you enough. I love you enough. God's word is specific enough. He does not want you to be a slave to anything. We have been set free to live as free uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So an addiction is becoming controlled by anything other than God. And we live in an ever-increasing addictive culture. We live in an ever-increasing addictive culture. We went from being addicted to this in our hands. I mean, I know some guys, they go to sleep at night, and their hands are still flipping through the remote. They're asleep. That's a sign of addiction, I would guess. Or our phones, or food, or, or drink, or sex. We live in an ever-increasing addictive culture, and Satan loves the fact that we can be controlled by almost anything. Here's the top 10 list of things I found on the internet that we can be controlled by. Work, food, video games, gambling, drugs. The list goes on and on. Alcohol, sex, exercise, phones, coffee. I wish there was a time, just for a little bit, I would be addicted to exercise again, but it's not. You know, it's hard. But some of you, that's your problem. And it's a real addiction because uh, you neglect uh, your family, your job, your, your time with God's word, your, your ability to even have a conversation because you've got to get that next fix of your physical body. Man, these, these are just a few things. We're going to see another scriptural list of things that we can easily become addicted to. And while psychology and counseling, treatment, accountability are helpful practices, they're just that, helpful and my desire is not to just be helpful today and have some self-help guru that you can get in any book, but my desire is today to go back to God's word through the power of Jesus Christ and be set free to the hope that he has. That's what God offers, not just something helpful uh, that we can be a better person and resist uh, being out of shape or overweight or, or uh, whatever it may be, but he really wants to set us free. And you know why he wants us to be that way? Because that's what we're designed to do. But why is it so hard? We have to remember as humans, on this side of eternity, on this side of heaven, we live in the flesh. That's a, a language the Bible uses often, that because we're in these human bodies in the flesh, we are going to have great temptation to dive into addiction. And you and I cannot break our flesh addiction on our own. To be honest, we can't do anything with sin apart from Jesus Christ. Think about it. The greatest spiritual leaders often struggle with matters of the flesh, their sinful nature. Uh, I was reminded this week, Abraham, the father of God's people, struggled recurringly with lying, a thing of the flesh, his mouth. Peter uh, regularly struggled with battles with pride and anger. David struggled with uh, sexual temptation and sin surrounding it, including murder. 
Listen to the words of Paul. I believe one of the most faithful followers of Jesus ever. He wrote through the Holy Spirit much of the New Testament. And listen to a big portion of what he says in, in Romans 7. Paul says, this great Christian, a leader of our faith, says, I do not understand what I do. Anybody have that moment? You're like, why am I back doing this? Why can't I break free of this thing? Paul says, I don't understand what I do for what I want to do. I don't do and, and I do not do. But what I hate, I do. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. He's talking about the flesh. For I know that good, it's, that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, it is my sinful nature, the flesh again. For I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. He says, day after day, I find myself not doing what I want to do. And he says, my flesh is winning the battle. And here's the reality. Each of us, including myself, first and foremost, as for what I know of, on my own, I will lose the battle with my flesh. I will give in to temptation, like Paul, day after day after day. If it happens to Paul and I, it's probably happening to you. Paul saying he can't control his actions. You might think, well, Tyson, let's just... If Paul has trouble with this, we, we probably all can just fall in his footsteps and realize it's just part of life. Should, should we just keep on uh, doing this or, or should we fight back? Paul says in, in Romans 6, by no means do not keep on sinning. He says, don't let grace just increase because you can't control yourself realize you've been changed by Christ. Look what he says though in Romans 7. He just says, I, I don't know why I do these things I don't want to do. He says, oh, what a miserable person am I. Am I? This is Paul talking. He says, oh, how miserable of a person I am. And then he asks this, the perfect question, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Paul says, wake up, people. This is a matter of life and death if you're going to be slave to sin or you're going to be set free from Christ. He says, who will set me free? How can I move forward? How do I pull these weeds of addiction? The first thing we've got to understand is this. This is a, the first part of how the Trinity helps us. Pull weeds of addiction by crying out to God for help. There, there's a moment in all of us when we have to admit we need God's help. Paul has the right question here. He says, who will set me free, the miserable man I am? We've got to quit pretending that we can handle it on our own. I pretend. I would say you do as well. Some of, some of us today, maybe at least one, needs to pretend your drinking problem is not under control. And admit you need God's help. Cry out to him. Few of us here need to admit today that we're powerless under the power of pornography and need to cry out for God for help. Others have need to, need to admit we're a lot like Pavlov's dog. Remember Pavlov's dog when you rang the bell, uh, salivated? Some of us, when we hear the ding from Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is on our phone, we, we're, the hand automatically comes up, you know? We're, we're addicted to those, those uh, indications of, of what's controlling our lives and our thoughts. Some of us need to admit we're controlled by caffeine and we need God's help. If none of that relate to you, I would say you just need to slow down and say, God, what is controlling me and keeping me from being honorable to you every day, all the time? And I need your help, God. Why is this so important? Because God has created this to be his children. Look what it says in Romans 8. Same concept here he's still talking about. He says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. 
But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons whom we cry, Abba, Father. Here's what he's saying. When you are saved by grace through Jesus Christ, you are brought into the family as sons and daughters. This word here for sons is just used for as children of God. He says, you are brought into the family and you need to cry out to God. God, thank you for saving me and making me your child. You did not get saved to be enslaved again. That's what Paul's saying here. And the first step we need to do to have victory is admit we can't do it on our own. We need help from dad, the father. Abba here for father really means like, hey, daddy, I trust you to help me. Paul here is saying, you're you're not meant to be slaves. You need to cry out to your dad, the one in heaven. But we get stubborn thinking we can handle things on our own. I don't know how many addictions you've held on to over the years. and You're like, man, I've got this and I'll let go when I want. But it grows and it grows and all of a sudden it kind of wraps around your hands and your heart. And all of a sudden you can't even seem to let it go, but you're stubborn. You never cry out for help because you don't want anybody to know, let alone God. He knows. So say, God, help me. Father, help me. All too often, though, we're stubborn thinking we can hold on to our own. It reminds me of my oldest son, not mentioning any names, okay? (laughs) But this is Dawson when he was probably three or four When he was a toddler learning to walk, I mean, learning to really walk outside and kind of be on his own, maybe 18 uh, months or so, he would come outside with me. Uh, Deacon was just a newborn. So literally, Tiffany would be inside with Deacon, and and Tiffany would say, Dad, you and Dawson are out. Okay, so we'd go out. And what I'd like to do initially when I was trying to get stuff done around the house, mow the yard or whatever, I would put him on our back deck. And it was one of these decks that didn't have a railing. It was just kind of like a platform out of the back uh, steps, and then it went down one step, about six inches, to another platform. And then it went to another platform. It's kind of a weird, like, flo- floating pat- platforms. And then the last one, you could take about a foot step off into the grass. No rails or anything, so it was perfect. If I put him on that first platform, before he could really walk well, he would just stay up there, just kind of in that little prison of that platform, okay? When he got a little older, he figured out he could take a step down. Remember how toddlers get stepped down? They don't just step off, usually. They will go often to their knees, kind of turn around and then go down. But they got to use their hands and their knees and everything. On this day, I figured out a way to keep Dawson on that top platform. I allowed him to have these things to hold on to. They were his favorite toy at the time. They were rescue heroes. Anybody remember rescue heroes like 20 years ago? Kind of came back for a little bit. They weren't dolls. They were figurines. So just letting you know, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to give it's not. It's another story. But he had these rescue heroes, and he was playing with them. That's great, whatever. And all of a sudden, as the day went on in the afternoon, that deck faced the west sun. There was no shade. He was on that little wooden platform, and it got hot. All he had to do, though, to get down to be with his dad and to be in the shade and even the sandbox was to let go of those things he was holding on to and or even ask dad for help. I was there to help him. And I kind of paid attention for a while. He got redder and redder in the face and he was just walking around that platform. But he wasn't going to let go of his figurines or whatever, action heroes, to get down off the deck. And I watched him for about 10 minutes as I mowed and he was getting frustrated. And so I finally got right in front of him and I uh, shut off the push mower and I said, Dawson, you want to get down? And you know what he did? He looked into his hands And he knew he had to put him down to get off the deck. And he just walked away from me, holding on to him, you know. I went a couple more rounds and stopped again. I said, Dawson, you want to get down? He looked at his hands again. And I said, just just ask me. I'll I'll help you. 
And he said something that acknowledged that he was ready for help. I picked him up, put him down, and the rest of the day was beautiful for him. But we think, man, how foolish is it that a, a two-year-old or whatever will just stay in prison on a, on a hot 100-degree deck because he won't let go of a couple action heroes? How foolish are we as grown adults who have been Christians our whole life, and yet we hold on to these things we love, that we're addicted to, and our dad and Jesus Christ, are they're, they're ready. Hey, just come to me, but we're not willing to cry out because we're stubborn, because we think we can handle it on our own. Shame on us for thinking we've got anything on a toddler. Because we're not, letting, we're not willing to let go of the stuff we're holding on to that we think is more important because God wants us to be happy, right? No, he wants us to be with him. He wants us to be like him. So we've got to cry out for help. I wonder what you're holding on to. What are you holding on to that's holding you back that you won't let go of? Secondly, there's another part of the Trinity very much alive in this process. We can pull weeds of addiction knowing our identity is in Christ. So the Father helps us, but, but our identity is changed by Jesus. I love it. He says, you're not to be slaves. And he asks this question, who will save me? I love it when the Bible just tells us the way it is. Look what it says here in this, this text in verse 25. He says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't have to be a very good preacher to show the connection from our identity to being free. The answer is Jesus, is what the Bible says. The answer is in Jesus. It's not in the government, it's not in new laws, it's not in books, it's not even in your best friend's help. The answer to change your life is in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's where it starts. That's where it, it always has to be. Jesus has allowed us to have the power to be set free. So here's the great truth. You can resist temptation through the power of Jesus. You can overcome the world through the power of Jesus. The devil doesn't have a chance to stand against you or bring something against you through the powerful name of Jesus. But are we like Dawson on the deck saying, it's all right there, and we turn away and say, I'll try it on my own a little bit longer. You, through Jesus, are a son and daughter of God, not an addict. Now, I know that goes against vocabulary. I think once an addict, we're always an addict. I understand the philosophy. But first and foremost, you are not an addict. Through Jesus Christ at the cross, you are his son and daughter. You're his brother. So we've got to have a mindset change of who we are. You can resist Satan. You can resist temptation. You're not a slave to sin. You're not a helpless alcoholic. You're not a destitute drug addict. You're not a soulless sex fiend. You're not a, a person that needs nicotine to have a nice day. What you are is a son or daughter of God who has been set free to live. We've got to understand, though, that Christ is the answer. It's not going to be found in a book, a podcast, or a change of life practices. While those things can help, the change of being set free from sin starts with Christ. Paul says he is the answer. You've got to remember who you are, who you belong to. Never forget the great words of the great theologian. Remember whose you are. You know who said that? My mom. You know, my mom would sing to me every morning, uh, rise and shine, give God the glory, glory. She, you've heard me say that before. This is something she told me every day of my life as well. Remember whose you are. 
Strangely enough, I couldn't remember exactly what she said this week when I was thinking of this message. So I called her. I said, Mom, what was that thing you always said every day that, that, you, that reminded me of, of my identity being in Christ? I thought it was like two phrases. I was making it more complicated than it was. We often do that as people. She didn't answer the phone, so I called my dad. I said, Dad, what? Mom used to say something every day to tell us about who we were. He goes, how can you forget? I heard that a thousand times. He said, it's remember whose you are. And that is a packed statement. I thank my mom and my dad for instilling that truth in me that my first uh, priority in life is not that I'm a graver, not that I'm a Hoosier, not that I'm a basketball player, not even that I'm a preacher or a father, but I am a son of the living God, bought by the blood of Jesus. Remember whose you are. If we're not careful, we forget too quickly. Reminds me of the story of the man who laid by the pool of Bethsaida for 38 years. You can read the story. It's true. It's not just a fictional story. Uh, the pool of Bethsaida is still in uh, Jerusalem. You can go there today. It is a, a very well-established historical site that people would come to this pool, and they would sit beside it, and they would wait for the water to be stirred. Now, we don't really know what that meant. Uh, they often said the angels would stir it, or maybe it was just a supernatural power. But when the water would be stirred, the goal would be to be the first one to get into the pool. Man, it's like summer at camp, you know? It's like, get in the pool. But this guy had been there for 38 years, and he never got in the pool first. So at some point, being the crippled man he was, he just said, well, I'm crippled. I'm going to stay here. I'm kind of comfortable here. But I'm not even going to try to get in the pool anymore. Jesus came to the pool one day, and he saw this guy laying there. And he's like, you know, he, he knew somehow about a story. It's Jesus. So he came up to the guy, and knowing that he had even quit trying to get in the pool, Jesus said this question. It's so important question. He says, do you want to be well? Do, do you want to be changed? Do you, do you want to, to someday walk again? Do, do you want to have a life beyond uh, this crippled definition of who you think you are? He, Jesus says, it's up to you. Do you want to be well? And, and the, the gentleman acknowledges, and Jesus says, well, get up and walk and live as a well man. Uh, my, my very uh, similar question is for you today. I think that really from the heart of Jesus, this if you're addicted today to something that's controlling your life, do you want to be well? You're like, well, I've only been messing with this for eight years. i got like 30 years to go before that really matters. No, it matters today. Some of you have been messing with something that you haven't been well with your entire life, and, and, and you're in your 80s, and Jesus still asks the question, don't you want to be well? See, this guy had accepted this fact. The world had told him, you are a cripple. That's who you are. Satan is wanting you to believe forever. You're an addict. You're, you're overwhelmed by sin. You're never going to be able to overcome this. And Jesus is crying out to all of you today, don't you want to be well? Don't you want to be set free? And this man got up and walked. And I pray that you will walk out, he, out of here well because you're with him. Man, we're reminded every time we come to worship here, at Greenville First Christian Church, the reason we can become well is through the identity being shared with Jesus. You know, when you're baptized, we're going to see a baptism in just a little bit, an immersion. When we go under the water, the Bible says we unite with Christ in his death. And then we also, when we come up out of the water uh, after being immersed, we unite with his in his resurrection. And forever our identity is changed. Not because of the water, please don't misunderstand that, but because uh, it symbolizes that we died with Christ and his blood was shed so our sins could be forgiven. Remember, that's what Paul said. Our forgiveness comes by his blood. And we have an ability to remember that every Sunday when we meet together, that our sins are forgiven, we break 
through our problem and our hold of sin through Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And we do that during communion. So if you would take, if you're here today and you're a believer, I would encourage you to take the bread and the cup. And we're going to remember again today and we're going to celebrate together that our sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. I wasn't sure how I was going to really come to this communion moment on Friday. And then some stuff started happening Saturday and getting ready for church camp and all these things. And I knew that I would come to a focus this morning. And then I woke up this morning and read our verse for today, Matthew chapter 26, that I would encourage all of you to read today. And in Matthew chapter 26, God gave me a great vision of what I would share with you now from the words of Jesus himself. Look what it says. And now they were eating. Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood, the covenant of which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every Sunday we come together, we're a reminder. Our identity is not that we're sinners, but we are forgiven because of what he's done for us. So let's share together now and share in the bread that represents his broken body that he allowed to be crucified for us. Take and eat. And let's share in the cup the reminder that his blood was shed so that our sins might not just be covered over, but forgiven. Father in heaven, we're dealing with something really heavy today, but the cross was heavier because it overcame the sin. Let us break through from these uh, sin chains that hold us back, that make us feel like we don't have any control, and let us cry out for you and know that we are made new through Jesus, your Son, and his sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for his blood that was shed and his body that was broken, and we remember today that he's coming again, and we will share in this cup again with him in a perfect world, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. There's one more part today of this perfect plan of breaking through addiction. So we've talked about God the Father. We've talked about Jesus Christ. Now we're going to walk with the Spirit, pulling weeds by walking with the Spirit. You can't just say, I'm forgiven, and then I'm just going to relax, and it's not going to be um, really anything to deal with. The Word of God makes it clear that if you are not feeding the evil flesh, you've got to be feeding the Spirit. Look what it says. Galatians 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're at war with each other. Most of us feel that on a regular basis. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then he gives us this list of addictions. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all the like. If you look at this list, this list has flared up over the weekend. There's all kinds of rage and, and uh, factions. There's dissensions. There, there, there's all this uh, stuff that comes in us as the flesh because we want what we want. Look what it says. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So here it is. He says, walk in the Spirit. Once you have crucified your flesh, once you've been made new uh, through immersion, you've got to walk with these things. You've got to feed the Spirit. Uh, the, the weed, mare's tail, it, it grows and goes out of control when it's not killed, when it's not executed, crucified. When we don't kill these plants, they, they morph, they adapt. Paul's saying in much the same way. When we don't execute, when we don't crucify our sinful nature, it morphs, it adapts, and it controls us. And we need our flesh to die so the Spirit can, can lead. When we resist the temptation, we feed the Spirit, we grow. We grow through worship, we grow through Bible study, we grow through Christian fellowship, we grow through prayer, and the addictions die. And love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control blossom. I find it interesting, the last thing that says here, and self-control, one of the greatest things we need to overcome addiction long-term is self-control, and it only truly comes through the Spirit and Him working in you. In your life. So we need to cry out to God. We need to know our identity. And then we need to walk by the Spirit. No matter what your struggle is, no matter how long you've had it, this change can happen for you today. You might be like Tyson, but you don't know how difficult my addiction is. These things I've shared through God's holy word can change you today. It can change your friend today. In fact, I've seen it in my one of my new friends. Her name is Melinda Four. And she grew up here in the Greenville area. You may have known her as Melinda Patterson. Uh, she went to high school right among some of you, uh, a great lady. But she, while had uh, a faith that God was real, never really knew Jesus growing up. You might think, well, how did she grow up in Bond County and doesn't know Jesus? It happens. She knew uh, there was some power and she, she hoped uh, for a future. But she really didn't have much of a faith, she told me. A month ago today... She was here for a message where I shared the good news, and she was seeking a change in her life. She, she had been um, set free from addiction just about a month. She's an addict like you and I are. Now, her addiction is maybe different than yours and I. Uh, we have all different kinds of addictions in the room. Her addiction was to over-counter drugs that she misused, abused, and used very negatively and were harmful in her, to her life in many ways. And she was tired of it. She was looking for a change. She was looking for to be set free, and she was here. She heard about the gospel. And so then that day after church, we didn't talk up front, but we talked in the back, and she says, Tyson, I'm believing in Jesus, and I, I want to be changed by him. And that day, uh, she began to trust in Jesus to another level. That next Monday, she came into the office, and I shared more about the gospel with her, and she confessed Jesus with her mouth that he was her Lord and Savior. And I believe then that the chains of addiction broke even more. And for the past month, she has been waiting and preparing to be immersed into Christ and to be crucified with him and allow his blood to break the chains of, uh, of sin and, and give her true forgiveness. Melinda it is an amazing story, but it's been a hard journey. Her addictions have been very negative and harmful, and she has had a tough couple years. In 2019, uh, she married her husband, Christopher. Shortly after they met, he had acknowledged that he too was an addict, but his addiction was to heroin, and, and he had been clean uh, for a number of months, and they began a life together, and he was very much of a blessing to her. 
They, they enjoyed a great life. He would often talk about his faith in God and his faith in Christ. And one day, uh, shortly after their marriage, he told me, Tyson, uh, Chris said, do you not believe in, in the reality of uh, uh, heaven after life or, and, and uh, a life forever? And she goes, I don't know what I believe. He says, well, I, I believe there's definitely uh, life after death through Jesus. And, and, and she says, I, I don't know what I believe. And, it, and to her surprise, it wasn't much longer that she needed that hope of heaven more than she ever thought. Watch this video. With narcotics, it first started when I think I was like a sophomore. He was junior or senior. He would go out with his friends. You know, we, we'd go to school Friday morning and I would not see him until 10 o'clock Sunday night. He was prescribed tramadol for um, like an underlying condition and he would run out way faster than the refill was due. Advanced into cocaine as he got to be 16, 17. He got arrested that he was on probation. I kind of had his probation officer help me out and put him in rehab at Chestnut for the first time. But he did finish rehab, he came home, and it was soon after that that he started on heroin. By searching, I had emailed this manifest mercy, and they got back to me. Chris said, okay, I'm ready. And Jason came right over and sat down and basically said, this is the deal. Here's numbers. Call these detox centers. I will drive you wherever you need to go. Jason had set up a rehab stint in Bloomington and actually drove him there. And then Jason gave us all these resources to call the, to find a place for him to go after the three-day detox. And it also helps my mom and I because, you know, we kind of, you know, we're, we, it was all dealing with Chris, you know, like, what, what can we do to help Chris? And he kind of said, what can we do to help you? I was just so relieved. I felt so relieved to have somebody to help us. I felt like I had no help at all, like there was nobody out there, nobody out there, nowhere to go. And then here came this angel, Jason. He had the most beautiful smile. He did mention up front though, before we actually went out that next day that uh, he was a, a recovering heroin addict. Gave him a chance and never once thought about a relapse. On September 29th, 2019, Chris died from an accidental fentanyl overdose. And it was a nightmare for his family and his new wife. Chris had been clean for months, but he had been an addict for years. And, and I want you to hear this. There is hope out there for you. And, and while he was recovering, he went back into his addiction. And just for a moment, he was gone. Melinda quickly began to question God. Her faith that had been growing a little bit, guided by Chris, uh, lashed out to God. And, and she said to God, and, and, and I quote, God, why would you have taken the best man I've ever uh, met in my life? Why would you take uh, this most beautiful person that, that I am now married to? Why is he gone? It doesn't make sense. And she became angry and lost what faith she had for a time and began to, her, to herself abuse drugs again to numb the pain. This past year, she's went through a lot of soul-searching. She's been crying out to God. She's had support from family and friends. And I'm thankful to say that Melinda has made a choice to choose God above everything else. And I want you to meet her today. Let's praise God for Melinda. She comes forward. 
Come on up here with me, Melinda. God bless you. Give up. This you. Is, I know it's tough. I know this has been a lot going. She is growing in Christ. And while you had that moment where, where you were angry at God and crying out to him, Chris had already implanted her this desire to be faithful. And while he lost his battle with addiction, she doesn't have to. And she can tell his story and how he, he touched her life and, and the hope that he gave her through a faith in God, even as he lost his. And today... Melinda is taking another step. After crying out, she's going to find a new identity in Christ. And you're going to be made new as a, as a daughter, uh, completely clean of anything in the past. And you're going to begin to walk in the Spirit. And the Spirit is already guiding her. It's amazing. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes on someone after they're uh, immersed. Sometimes it comes on even later. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes on someone and affects their lives even before they make that final commitment. And I see fruit in Melinda of that happening. She wants to share the hope of Jesus with those that are hurting. And while this is a terrible and horrible story, God is doing a miracle in your life, and she'd be the one to tell you that. Today, Melinda comes to confess her faith in Jesus and to be made new in baptism, to have her old self crucified and begin to walk in Christ. And I praise God for that. Let's celebrate with the angels in heaven. So I'm going to ask you a different question than I usually ask. Uh, I'm going to, and I, we didn't plan this, but I think you can get this one right. Do you want to be well? Yes. Amen. Here's the, sex, the, mo, the next question that is even more important. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God? Absolutely, yes. All right, let me repeat that great confession after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And I accept him. And I accept him. As my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. Praise God. So she comes up here as a testimony to what has been done. Uh, before you in this room, before uh, people out watching on the internet, it's very likely someone here today needed to hear your testimony. That Christ can change everything, give you a hope that, that makes everything new. My challenge to you, if you want to be well, is cry out to God today. To know that your identity is found in Him as a son and daughter. And then walk in the Spirit and have the joy that you see in Melinda that you'll see as she comes up out of the waters of baptism. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you as we prepare for baptism today. I, I pray that um, someone else would be moved by your spirit to walk away from an addiction, maybe to be made new through immersion, to be buried with you and, and to have a brand new life. God, we put this in your hands. Help her to walk with your spirit. Give us the joy and the peace and give her self-control. And I pray that she would have blessings beyond what she ever imagined. Lord, give her peace as she mourns still her husband's loss, but give her great joy in the same time so she can be an example to others. Father, we celebrate what you've done in her life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us? If you have a decision to make, uh, please, D is here. Talk to a friend. Um, don't leave here today. Uh, ben is up here as well. Don't leave here today thinking you've got to be changed. Uh, you've got to be changed. Chained to something, but you literally can have your life changed.